This is Terms of Reference. I'm your host, Stephen Laddick. Jonah Ayodele Obaijan is the chief curator for the Tolerance Academy, a Nigeria-based NGO focused on youth capacity building in the areas of democracy and peace building. The Academy delivers its training and programming through an innovative mobile campus that has been recognized by multiple global institutions, including the United Nations Global Alliance of Civilizations. Jonah is also an author who has won national and international writing contests and whose essays have been published in popular Nigerian blogs. He is currently set to release his first book of fiction in mid-2014. I spoke with Jonah in Lagos, Nigeria. Hi, Jonah. Thank you so much for being a part of the Terms of Reference podcast. I really, really appreciate you taking the time for our interview today. Tell me, Jonah, what is Tolerance Academy and what is your role in Tolerance Academy? Okay, Tolerance Academy, it's it's a product of first-hand experiences in terms of political violence, religious violence, and ethnic violence in my immediate communities. I'm currently sitting in Lagos, Nigeria. Okay, then I have lived in some other parts of Nigeria. And so and with Tolerance Academy project has taken me to different parts of the countries where we've implemented projects and we've spread our message. Right, so Tolerance Academy um, is actually a mobile peace-building academy that is fostering inter- and intra-religious um, relationship, intra-ethnic and inter-ethnic relationship across Nigeria. So it's a very mobile academy that we move from one place to another with our, um, our creative approach, innovative approach, um, dealing with peace-building subjects, with cognitive learning experiences, and then with knowledge transfer mechanisms. When you say it's a mobile academy... Yes. What does that mean? Does that mean that you have everything in a truck that you move around, or does that mean that you find a find a building and then you set up everything in a building? What What does that mean? Okay. So when I say mobile, it's it's not um, it's not you you cannot pin it to a location. Now, so it speaks its message from one place to another. So it moves around with its message from one location to another location in Nigeria. We don't really have a specific place that we normally hold our program, our events. So we move our events from one place to another. So we move our events to people's doorsteps. The people who need it will take our events to their doorsteps. So we don't stay at our own comfort zone and say people should come and say we are preaching the message. So we take our message to people who need our message. So it's very mobile. So if you're in the northern part of Nigeria, be sure that we will come to your doorstep and give you the message. If you are in the eastern part of Nigeria, be sure that we will come to your doorstep and give you the message. So we will not stay back and assume that our message will come to you. So we will take our message to your doorstep. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. It's very mobile. So who's why, who? Who was? Yeah, yeah. Why did you choose this model for Tolerance Academy? Is is that because you? can't assume people will come to you or what, what was the choice uh, who made that decision okay so, so basically tried to to look at how existing models are working right so how it's existing social enterprises are doing the work the approach and then we'll see opportunities so we saw some gaps we saw some lapses so we saw some area of improvement that we can actually leverage on so we discovered that why people are naturally non-receptive 
comes to this kind of program. People are naturally laid back when it comes to this kind of program. So oftentimes, existing organizations struggle to get their message across. So we decide that as part of the um, innovative approach is that we will make it mobile versus doing it the same way existing organizations are doing it. So we'll be very mobile with our message. Tell me, every time you say it's we are doing this and we are doing who is we? Is this how many people work for this organization? Exactly. So it's been driven by a set of committed, very few paid staff, about five of us, and about 20 volunteers. So because, again, it could be my brainchild, it could be my idea, it could be something I came up with. But again, I am not the only one driving it. So it's a team. We keep having more and more volunteers who are willing to join us to come and learn what we are doing, to also come and leverage on the experience and also see how they can impact their societies. You know, I've seen on your website that you do two things, democracy and development and peace building. What, exactly. what, are, what are the differences between those? Basically, we... There's no way you will talk about peace building that you will not talk about democracy. Again, peace building is about harmonizing people. It's about making people to live in harmony. So how do you make people to live in harmony? It's about understanding or accepting the reality that they are different beyond their differences and see their similarities. Again, people cannot coexist if there's nothing like a give-and-take strategy. And then when you talk about give and take strategy, you talk about negotiation. When you talk about negotiation, you talk about democracy. I mean, so there's no way peace building can come. I mean, people can live in harmony without democracy. So it's interwoven. So in our curriculum, it's so comprehensive and it's dynamic. So you will see peace building subjects and you see democratic subjects, you know. So they are interwoven. One cannot exist without another. So without peace, democracy will be in danger. So for example, we have some nascent democracies today um, across the world, and they are struggling. So, I mean, it's it's more like they are at the trigger point that any slight push, the military will come, and, and then so things will turn around. And peace building, before you can have people living in peace, coexisting in harmony, they need democracy. They need, democracy cannot be sustained without peace. Mm. Where did you learn this? I mean, what, what, how did you get involved in peace building and democracy building originally? Is this, did you wake up one day when you were younger and said, this is what I have to do? Or was there some other event that pushed okay, you so, into this work? Um, basically, my moment of obligation was when I actually had the first hand experience with um, ethno religious crisis and a business partner died in, in an ethnic clash in Joss. Northern mm-hmm. part of Nigeria. And then, you know, there and there, um, having done some some research about, you know, cultural integration, um, dialogue, you know, so having traveled all around Nigeria to learn about people, to, to see how people dialogue to coexist. Again, at the burial ceremony, burial rites of my business partner, you know, I, I saw how people were buried in mass. I mean, they were buried like dead ants. And I felt like I had to do something. I could do something. And then I started researching to know more about how I can fight on behalf of the dead. And so I got who 
of some of some materials that I read through, and then I, I did a documentary. And after the documentary, and I, I came up with the idea of Tolerance Academy. And then so there and there, adding flesh to the idea, and then we started implementing projects and getting supports all around. Tell me about this documentary you did. What was it called, and what did it focus on? I mean, so you, you mean documentary? Documentary actually focused on ethno-religious crisis in Nigeria. So it was a story of, of a family. And then I, I told the story of that family from how the family was sleeping without an inkling of losing everybody in the family except the last child. And then, you know, so I, I just chronicled the story of these people from the beginning to the end. And then so how um, crisis wiped out almost everybody in the family and all the generations of the family almost wiped off from this planet. So that's just what what the documentary was all about. So it, it just chronicled the life of this family. And then, you know, after some time, I, I got that inkling that I could do something to to really fight on behalf of these people. What other kinds of curriculum for tools or training do you use at Tolerance Academy to help teach peace building and democracy? So I talked about um, video modeling, so which is what the documentary is all about. So we have various video modelings that we do, videos, you know, simulations that we do, you know. It's like a role modeling stuff. So um, that is one. Two, we also use um, um, internship where we place our ambassadors, our participants. We place them on internship. If you are a Muslim, you will do an internship in a church with a, with a pastor of that church. Try to learn what Christianity teaches about peace building, about peace living as a Muslim. So you can know more about Christian religion. So if you are a Christian, you do your internship in a mosque where you will be eating and whining and dining with the chief imam and learn what Islam teaches about peace building. Do you think, Again, do you think I have to make a joke here. Do you think they'll be whining with the, with the imam? <laughs> like, like where you need to <laughs> whine and dine with. <laughs> okay. okay, that's great. So it's a, it's a cross-fertilization model of... Exactly, and some participants, because okay, again, we try to give participants as um, um, level of liberty as much as we can, right? So um, some of them can choose to also go to um, museum, traditional setup, palaces, to also learn what the traditional setup, you know, um, teaches about peace living, you know, so learn about history from the traditional rulers and, and, and bring forth learnings. From 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 hearing history, from listening to history, okay. So that that is another side to it. So we also try to make people to teach what they learn. So that's that is where we expect them that they will transfer the knowledge from, I mean, from us to other people in their localities, right? So there's also a knowledge transfer part of the program that we follow through for our people to do and and still keep them in the loop of things. And then so when they go and do this knowledge transfer, because, again, we also partner with high schools around. So they go to these high schools to do their knowledge transfer work. And then in the high schools, some of the high schools will set up tolerance clubs in their school. And then so they start recruiting members into tolerance clubs in their school. And then, you know, so these are the things we look at. And we also we also use these things as an indi- as indicators 
to measure um, the impact of what we are doing. I was just going to, that was my next question. What, how do you measure your success? Do you, do you have a tangible way that you can see that these connect relationships and these connections are building tolerance and building, you know, building peace in your communities? Yeah, so basically, it's, it's, there are about two levels of, 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 of our um, evaluation. Um, first level of our evaluation is with our direct um, participants, right? So um, before, the, before they join us, of course, after we select them, before they come into the academy, um, there's a questionnaire they fill about their confidence level in the various subjects of the academy. Um, we try to ask them questions about how open they are to cultural setup, about other cultures different from theirs. We try to ask questions about their feeling towards a particular setup in in a community, kind of. So just try to get their confidence level, try to get their level of relationship with um, with strange, for example, strange religion. So how easily do they diffuse um, their stereotypes? You know, so we just try to ask them those questions before the academy starts proper. Then, of course, at the end of the academy as well, we also try to ask them the same questions and try to see the trend. And so from there, we can measure how well we have done with them directly. And then so based on the end we have in sight, that okay, the end of what we are doing is that we want to see this knowledge multiplying. We want to see these things spread. So we also try to measure our success in the knowledge transfer using um, how many how many students they are able to reach, how many high schools we are able to partner with, how many tolerance clubs were set up in the schools we partner with. How many, you know, so we have those indicators to also, to also measure that um, our knowledge transfer at the end that we have in sight is also working. And what has your success been thus far? How, first of all, how old is Tolerance Academy? How long have you been doing this? Yeah, we started in 2010. Um, so we're about um, three and a half, three, three and a half years. And what sort of success have you measured thus far? How many how many students have you reached or how many high schools have you reached? Okay, so we've been able, so far we've been able to reach 150 direct participants. And then these 150 direct participants have been able to reach, on the average, each of them has been able to reach minimum of 100 students. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, so this is this is also what we what we also encourage with the with the follow up structure we have because each um, we, we we created faculties so we have faculty lead for each of the faculties of the alumni network and then each of the faculty lead of the alumni network um, do this follow up based on some structures we've designed so it's, it actually makes it very very effective. And then we can be sure that 95% of our participants will participate in the knowledge transfer um, mechanism. That's fantastic. Who pays for this? Where, where does your funding come from? So basically, um, we um, the seed funding, we got the seed funding from, from United Nations Alliance of Civilization. That's one. 
Um, so that was the seed funding. Then from then we've been getting support from individual donations around here. Um, also been getting support from um, some partners. Um, it might not be in kind of um, finances, but in kind. So um, again, personal donations from friends. Um, from myself as well, again, so I hand some money from some places. I use it for trans academy projects. Some friends also contribute, you know. So this is the way we've been managing it. And then so we have all the financial reporting. We have everything, you know. So though it's been very challenging in terms sure. of funding, but again, we've been trying to do the little we can do within within our project. And then so we also try to reach out to to more partners, want to keep doing what we are doing so that we can build more reputation, more equity that we can use as a selling, I mean, selling um, factor to potential donors, potential partners, potential supporters around the world. How much of this, how much of your time do you spend on Tolerance Academy you know, week, on, on, a, on yeah. a week, in a week? Okay, for example, in a day, I spend minimum of four or five hours. So that's about 35 hours in a week. So 30, so this is a really, you know, it's a half-time job. Are you getting paid or do you also find that you're, I mean, I know that you're also still working in another in another profession as well, right? Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And do you, is, is your goal to be able to work on Tolerance Academy full-time or do you like having this as a part-time focus? Yeah, so, yeah, so my goal is to work on Tolerance Academy full-time. Once I see that, okay, it's self-sustaining, once Torres Academy becomes self-sustaining, my dream actually is to focus on Torres Academy fully without doing any other thing. So full-time, I'll be on Torres Academy. Mm. And what's the vision behind Tolerance Academy? Is it, uh, you know, obvious, I would, I'm going to make the assumption that the high-level vision is peace throughout Nigeria and also throughout the world. But is there a shorter term goal that you are trying to reach, um, a, a tangible goal that you're trying to reach with the academy? So um, so basically we want to we want to build systems that, that can help with um, sustainable peace building. So try to see how we can get people to see that, okay, this approach can give you better results. So this is what we are looking at in the short term. How do you attract, what are the tools that you use to attract youth into the Tolerance Academy? I, you know, we've seen on your website, you're clearly on Twitter. Um, I'm going to assume you use Facebook. What are, the, what are the ways that you use to attract people into your academy? We're trying as much as possible to, to use social media. That's one. Um, we're also trying to use our, our print media because we have a lot of um, friends in the newsprint, the print media where... You know, they publish things, Tolerance Academy. I mean, for example, this year alone, we had more than um, six publications on different days. Um, so, again, this is what we are, we are using. And we are also looking at how we can upload some of the um, newspaper clippings, um, upload them on our website so people can also have access to this. So, this we are trying to leverage on our local media network. Though internationally, we, we are still trying to see how we can build on an international network have a global outlook, you know, I mean, so we, we are using the social media basically and then our local newsprints. How do you bring that international perspective into Tolerance Academy? You said you've traveled outside of Nigeria to promote Tolerance Academy. 
do you bring experts in from outside as well or so for now we 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 don't have people from outside nigeria participating in tolerance academy right so um everybody we've had in the past living within the shores of nigeria okay so um while I so while I do the stuff anytime I travel, I have the opportunity to talk about Tolerance Academy. I try to um, make reference to the fact that again our future plan is that we want to expand beyond Nigeria and see how we can work across border, right? So um, for example, in 2011. Um, the academy was selected as a finalist in the Echoing Green Fellowship. I mean, I met a number of people, and then we talked about, of course, I had the opportunity to showcase Tolerance Academy more, and then met a number of people, a number of, um, try to create a kind of buzz around the project, around the idea. And, and again, this is what I've been trying to do personally, and I also have a couple of people that I've also tried to sponsor. Um, about two people have tried to sponsor for some events outside Nigeria to attend. And then, so there and there, they also have the opportunity to also talk about Tolerance Academy. Um, one, one of the trip was in South Africa and then one was in Ghana. And then, so they also tried to talk about, you know, show some things, showcase things we've done, um, have some photos, display, you know, have some slide presentations. So this is what we also we've been trying to do personally and internally for ourselves. Again, so we're still looking forward to doing more and to see if we can leverage on more network, international network, so it can help the visibility of what we are doing. Again, so that we can, we um, we the reputation we're also trying to build, the equity we're also trying to build has both local and international brand value. And so talk to me a little more in depth. I've read that you have reapplied or, or you've applied the same model of Tolerance Academy in places like Bolivia and India and Argentina. How how does that work? Exactly. For example, I attended um, 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 what's it called? Uh, United Nations um, Forum in Brazil. Um, in the panel plenary session, I, I had the opportunity to talk about Tolerance Academy model, right? And then I got a number of people, young people who were interested in the models. And then so they went back to their countries and also implemented the model, the same model. I mean, they just transferred verbatim. And so they applied it and it also worked for them. So it's more of reapplication, so it's just carrying the model and say so they already existing organizations they work for, so they just went back to the organizations and say, okay, so this model, this model, they do it this way in Nigeria. Can we also try to do it this way? Let's try to simulate, let's try to test or do a pilot with this kind of model. So it was done and then it was fine. What does what do you think attracts other people to this model when you go yeah. and you speak at the United Nations exactly. or so, you go and speak at a conference? What, what's so attractive about it? Three major things, curriculum, the knowledge transfer mechanism, and then the internship. So the internship attracted them in the sense that, you know, it, it was an eye-opener that, you know, a Muslim can agree to go to a church and, and stay with a pastor for two, three days or one week or two weeks 
and learn everything about what Christianity teaches about peace living, you get. And then a Christian can agree to do this, you know, and vice versa. So that was an attractive point. The other point was a curriculum. Again, so because we have a curriculum, we I have different subjects. We have subjects on dialogue. We have subjects on cultural integration. We have subjects on forgiveness. We have subjects on um, democratic value building. We have subjects on creativity. We have subjects on um, relational leadership. You know, so it's all encompassing. You you can you can see the way we are building peace and democratic value. With, with with that curriculum, so and then we have some six bits of the curriculum broken down. So it's very comprehensive and also very dynamic. It's also changing based on feedback from participants because we do this evaluation too um, every year, and then we try to also get feedback from participants on the content of the subject. And we also look at the impact we are making, and we are seeing more opportunities in some areas. And then we also try to update the curriculum, I mean, some subjects in the curriculum. You know, so this is also an attractive point. Third one is the knowledge transfer. You know, so we don't need to go and manufacture or produce any knowledge transfer mechanism. We already have it existing. All we need to do is just to partner with existing high schools and say, proprietor, come to this roundtable. This is what we want to come and do in your school. This is what we, in the end, this is what we are looking at. We want to form tolerance club in your school. We want to do this. We want to do this. So you are going to host our ambassador for the next one month. Our ambassador will be with you. I mean, preaching this message. He will practically be a teacher in your school for one month. And then after that one month, we want to come back and measure the impact of what he has done in your school. I mean, so this is the way, so this is the third point. That's also carrying weight to, I mean, to to um, people, and they're finding it very interesting to also implement in the area. Are you finding that the people who are really interested in Tolerance Academy and your model model are mostly from places where civil unrest or ethnic violence happens, or do you get interest from everywhere? The academy is such that is both reactive to peace. I mean, to violence is also proactive to violence. Now, for for a community that is not experiencing any ethno-religious crisis, it doesn't mean it can never experience it. So, what can we use to prevent it? So, this is the proactive part of Tolerance Academy. So, Tolerance Academy tries to open not people's mind. So what people are not thinking before they start thinking about it, such that okay, when somehow something happened, they already have an idea, they have the knowledge base to also manage things. So the proactive sense of Torrance Academy caters for communities that don't experience ethno-religious crisis. Why the reactive part caters for communities, communities that experience ethno-religious crisis. So, for example, in Nigeria, there are some parts of Nigeria that don't experience ethno-religious crisis as of today. And there are some parts that are experiencing it every day. So, you see, Torrance Academy can play in between. So, here, Torrance Academy can play in preventing it. There, Torrance Academy can play in building it. So, this is it. So, for us, the way we're thinking about it 
is that we will have, get interest from people who are not experiencing violence and then from people who are experiencing violence. I want to talk about you for a second. What, you know, when do you sleep? You know, I, I think that you, uh, you have a job that you go to during the day. You spend 35 hours a week on uh, Tolerance Academy. Tell me about a typical day for you. What does a typical day look like? Okay, so a typical day for me, I wake up 5, 5.30. I do my prayers for a few minutes. Um, I grab my laptop. Okay, so um, I try to read some stuff. Read some stuff for Tolerance Academy for about 30 minutes. Like, just read through reports, edit some reports. And then I spend another 30 minutes um, looking at my schedule for the day at work, the, my normal professional work. Um, so look at my schedule, my to-do list that, okay, between eight and nine, this is what I want to do. So I try to update my to-do list. Okay, so by 6.30, I'm off my house. So I drive down to work. I prepare for my meeting at eight, from 7.30 to eight. And then I do my meeting. I leave my meeting from eight to 10. So um, from 10, I try to attend to some I mean, so I have direct reports that work for me, about seven of them. So I do that at 12 noon. So 12 noon, I go for my lunch. Okay, so from one, I do I do my stuff. I mean, so up to 4.35, I leave. I come back to my house. I grab my laptop, and then I open up to Torrance Academy work. So I do that from, from 5, 5.30, up to 11, 11.30. Then I drop my laptop. And then <laughs> you could in between, I also have my dinner. And then I drop my laptop. And then I sleep. Then I wake up 5, 5.30. And then I start all over again. Mm-hmm. Except weekend. So weekend, I am fully. Because I also move around over weekends. Um, I get invitations from different parts of the country um, to come and lead some trainings. I basically lead trainings and um, leadership, relational leadership. So then sometimes um, universities invite me for for some, you know, speaking engagements. They call me to come and speak to their graduating students on this and that. So I do all these trip travels over the weekend, Friday and Sunday. I mean, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I do all these, um, all these other engagements over the weekend. So Sunday, um, I go to church, come back from church. I also grab my laptop again. And start reading stuff. So I'm also, I'm also, again, in between these, I'm also working on my first book of fiction, which will be, um, my publisher's already on my neck. So, um, my first book of fiction should be out by mid this year, hopefully. Holy so smokes, in- you're a fiction writer too? Yes, yes, yes. That's amazing. You can see it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult life for me. And I think I got used to it early in my growing up years. Um, I got used to being very busy mm-hmm. and, you know, so I still don't see it as, as if I am busy. I still, um, I'm still been seeing it as this is normal me. These are the normal things that define me. So I really don't see it as, um, as extra burden, you know? So of course this is what is part of me and sure. I think I'm used to it. Jonah, this is my last question. If you were to have someone in the Tolerance Academy or a student, you know, from one of your high schools come up to you and say, Jonah, I really want to help build peace like you do or become a development professional like you are. 
what would your advice be to them? What's the first thing they should do? My advice would just basically be, you know, they don't need to look up to anybody. They only need to look up to themselves. So what do they want to do? This is my question. So is social entrepreneurship your call? If it is not your call, don't go into it. I mean, so it's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of things, a lot of look aways, a lot of, you know, things that you do and you, you don't get paid for, you don't get rewarded for, nobody recognizes you, nobody gives you any kudos, nobody says thank you, nobody, you know. So if you are not ready to take all these things, then it is not for you. I mean, so it's about checking. So what wakes you up from bed every day? I mean, this is what you need to think about. So what pushes you up from bed every day? What gets you thinking every day? Every time you are eating, what comes to your head? I mean, every time you are lying on your bed, what comes to your mind? So, you know, when when you think about those things, when you can come to terms with those things, then you really know where your call is, where you should invest your energy and time. So, again, if your gut feel says it is saying development profession, I mean, you need to come into it fully. You need to come into it with your heart. You need to come into it with your mind. You need to come into it with your soul and with your body. Right? So this is what can guarantee your success and your development as a person. Right? So this is what I have seen has worked for some people, for some development professional I have seen. And this is what I also believe that will work for me. Jonah, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Yeah, thank you, Sladek, for your time, too, and I enjoyed the the drilling. (laughs) You've been listening to Terms of Reference, a weekly podcast from aidpreneur.com. Find us on iTunes or at www.aidpreneur.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.